Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Welcome, welcome, Newsbusters listeners. You are listening to the Newsbusters podcast. I'm your managing editor, Curtis Houck, and boss Tim Graham is enjoying some time away in Wisconsin. So that means I am here for this week, and today I am joined by your video editor, Bill Diagostino. Bill, how goes it? What's up, Curtis? I'm doing well. All right, man. So, I mean, we have a lot to get into, and we're going to start with what else, folks? Brian Stelter's final show and final day at CNN. So, uh, you know, Reliable Sources was canceled yesterday after 30 years, um, and it was helmed by far more legendary journalists like Bernard Cobb and Howard Kurtz. Um, it was axed by new CNN boss Chris Licht and executives at Warner Brothers Discovery, um, as an example, I think of them finally making changes that we hope will bring CNN back to the center, um, and eager to quote unquote, do the news again, um, after years of sanctimonious, uh, advocacy and partisanship. So, um, before we talk about how the show actually unfolded, uh, Bill put together a montage of some of Selter's best, worst, I don't really, I don't really know what to cutest, say. Cutest, cutest moments. Cutest moments. Okay, so we're going to play that. Uh, <laughs> let's play that right now. To understand why so many Republicans have abandoned democracy, you have to hear the poisonous propaganda. What do folks in the reality-based, reality-based, reality-based media do in the coming weeks? Biden secret emails. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing. You say we're not allowed, we're not able. Who's the people stopping the conversation? Who are they? Is it possible to make Fox News viewers change their minds about key issues just by having them change the channel. Entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden. Can we have an honest conversation about gas prices? Or has the coverage been out of proportion, out of step with the American public? Too much of the US media chatter is distorted to the point of being dishonest. Dana Milbank, here's his column for The Post this weekend, and he says he has data to show that the press has turned more negative against Biden than the press was against Trump. What do you think about that? Does it ring true to you? Trump might have committed treason. What does Putin have on Trump? The US president possibly working for the Russians. Is President Trump a racist? Is the Trump presidency a criminal presidency? Trump and some of his allies are promoting a hate movement against the American press. Why does Sarah Sanders still have a job? Is it time for newsrooms to think of new ways to convey Trump's lack of credibility. You might say the media hasn't earned your trust either. Okay, look up the stats for yourself. There's no way to tweet yourself out of impeachment. Impeachment, 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 impeachment. Uh, what I hear on Fox is that the media is obsessed about impeachment. Impeachment, 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 impeachment. Imagine, just imagine if Fox's right-wing hosts talked about Trump the way they talked about Barack Obama. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. Okay, so, um, Bill, you somehow pulled that together in only a few hours somehow because it was crazy that you had years and years and years of footage. Uh, was there any one clip that stood out to you that I think was the funniest? Oh, it's hard to say. I, I think that the... <laughs> the biggest one for me is the one that we had to end on with uh, the Governor Cuomo, and that's that's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. Uh, and actually, um, a little mean, but one of our marketing people, when I showed it to her, said, oh, well, I guess he'll have a lot more time to teach his kids Governor Cuomo's teachings at home now. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, along with uh, not respecting your elders, uh, apparently. Uh, and also, I wonder uh, when uh, his kids start dating, if they'll ship people off to far ends of the state, kind of like Cuomo did to his daughter when he found out he was dating. she was dating a state trooper. I don't know. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Cuomo. <laughs> he shipped him off to the Canadian border. That's right. He's got such a storied history of doing stuff wrong that it's hard to chronicle everything Chris Cuomo did, or uh, Andrew Cuomo did. The whole Cuomo family is just a disaster. Oh, they're um, great. Yeah, so, all right, so the final show... Uh, went about exactly the way you thought it would. Um, he acknowledged the news at the beginning and said it would be a special final episode with a look at the way the media has changed in three decades. Hmm. But all he really did was show what it's become in the Trump era. It, it began with a hilarious take about how his show has become part of journalism curriculums in grade school and in universities. Let's play a clip of that right now. You know, the thing about TV is that it's ephemeral, right? It's fleeting. It evaporates up into the air, and a lot of it is not even meant to be, a lot of it's not even meant to be remembered. But this program transcended that. It's a part of journalism school curriculum. Teachers across the country and in other countries outside the U.S., teachers use segments from this show all the time in classrooms, in lessons, guiding and teaching the next generation. You know, founding host Bernard Kalb and founding executive producer Rick Davis said this program was meant to be a critical lens on the media. Such a special phrase, a critical lens on the media. And this week, thanks to CNN management, we've been given the gift of signing off on our own terms and actually talking about the media industry. Okay, well, you know, we're off to a really good start and we're not even like five minutes into the show. Uh, so then he brought on hyperbolic fiend Carl Bernstein, who... You know, he was wrong about a number of things. Uh, he said, like, Michael Cohen would have all the goods on him. And I think there was a summer <laughs> of other things. And he and Marshall Cohen and Jim Shooter, they never got in trouble. Um, he's, like, incendiary, but also, like, way too over-eager, I think is the right word, Bill, to describe him. Bernstein? Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's He said the truth is not neutral in the face of authoritarianism after he started talking about that. Stelter... He got so close to the truth when he realized that, wow, you like maybe we haven't talked about a lot of issues that matter to people like, you know, for liberals, the environment or for everyone, the cost of housing. Huh. The media might want to do a better job of that in the future instead of just chase the latest political soap opera. But instead of acknowledging that or even agreeing with him, Carl Bernstein ignored him and instead the, said the real issue is the decline of democracy and how the media has to take that fight to the state legislatures. Yeah, he had to get Brian back on track with the yeah. agenda there. Yeah, he had to get him back on track, and then he really got his genes going. He really made Brian excited when he said Jeff Zucker was committed to the best obtainable version of the truth. That's uh, incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I mean, that made Brian really happy because he was very excited to talk about Jeff Zucker, Zucker, uh, as Brian would call him, his uh, bosses. Brian, you know, by many accounts, even his former colleague Dylan Byers over at Puck News in Breaking the News even said that Brian Stelter was Zucker's little mini-me. Uh, that's pretty bad when your, like, deskmate is like, yeah, he's in it. He's in on it. 
That that kind of talk has, as far as I know, followed Brian his entire professional career. He likes to cozy up to the people who are in charge and uh, do whatever he can to make them happy. Right, and with TV Newser, that meant cozy up to a lot of different people. Uh, the New York Times a little bit, um, but really once he got to CNN, it really became making Zucker happy uh, because Zucker's office was in the middle of the newsroom. So Zucker had his hands in everything, even though he was supposed to be in charge of not just CNN. He was supposed to be in charge of like, like Warner media. He was supposed to be in charge of like sports coverage, like the NBA on TNT and like baseball coverage on TBS. Like, and yet he had time to just like micromanage everything. And I guess, I guess people really like that. So the next segment he had, okay, this gets really weird. He, Talked about how dangerous it is to become a journalist in America. I mean, that's one of his big calling cards, I think. You know, how being a news reporter, going after Donald Trump and standing outside Mar-a-Lago is just like being a reporter in, like, China or something. You know, or Myanmar. Or a war zone. Or a war zone, yes. Brian Williams. Um, not everyone, not all of us can be there. But apparently, I guess they're trying to. Um, you know, Katie Turr, this is the same kind of Katie Turr argument. We're all firefighters. Uh, storming into a burning building known as America. Um, and it brings me to something Stelter either never understood or forgot dating back to his days before he was a power player living in New York, before he even started TV Newser in college at Towson. The First Amendment applies to all of us, not just journalists. And what he doesn't get... And it, 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 the entire network is this way. They refuse to accept the fact that we have a right as Americans to offer legitimate criticism of the press. And not doing so, or in doing so, is not violent. It's not wishing you ill. It's not threatening you with death. Um, really, it's our First Amendment right to say CNN sucks, Mr. Bill. Yeah, it's, it's the most ridiculous pearl clutching that they do. And Stelter was basically the, the head of that whole little pathetic parade. Yeah. Uh, him and Acosta, the, the the amount of crocodile tears that they cried over people calling them out rightly for being completely stilted is ridiculous. And I mean, Stelter, he said it in that compilation. He um, what was it? Trump is leading a hate movement against the American press. It's not a movement, Stelter. A lot of people just hate you. Yeah, it, it's us saying you're really bad at your job. I mean, I feel like that's that's fair to say. I mean, it's very. That, you know, they criticized Trump uh, for kind of having an aversion to criticism and taking things personally. I mean, CNN was the epitome of taking things personally. I mean, Jake Tapper. I mean, you'll have CNNers follow and unfollow some of us and send us angry messages uh, because that's kind of what they do. Sliding into your DMs. Sliding into your DMs. <laughs> yes, when newsbusters in the Huffington Post are all able to say the same thing, you know, it's uh, got some weight to it. Um, and in this same segment that I was just talking about, he decried what we were just talking about. He said it's a poisonous cloud of media criticism that spread throughout the country. And then he was proud, proud to work for a network that went to war with and attacked a president. Let's take a listen to that right here in context. 
That online harassment Joey is describing, that environment of uh, toxicity around journalism that is frankly much more poisonous than it was the first time you were on this program, Jeffrey. It's gotten so much more toxic, right? And doesn't that scare off some writers? Doesn't that turn off some reporters? Don't we lose a generation of great journalists because they don't want to be a part of that? They don't want to be harassed on the internet? They don't want to be a part of the mess? How do we ensure that we're still getting the next best class of journalists to join in this profession and help tell the truth around the world when we are under this poisonous cloud. So then we move on to the next one. It just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. Somehow he tried to ask them, what is the big biggest change in the last 30 years? So he let off with Eric Deggins of NPR. Ta you got to have a taxpayer funded journalist, quote unquote, on your final show. I mean, you have to. And he complained about how the media are not diverse enough, Bill. They're not diverse enough yet. There's there's racist, uh, racism that's still percolating through the press. Tucker Carlson and parents are upset about critical race theory, and the media need to do a better job of calling that out. What are you, like, Ibram X. Kendi or something? Yeah, Fox News will never be diverse enough until it sounds like CNN. Right, exactly. And it's all about racial diversity. It's not about anything else. I mean... But again, as I said, it gets even better. Claire Atkinson of Insider uh, complained about how the internet has allowed anybody, people, anyone to set up an account and become a media critic. Anyone. We, you know, their argument is we can't just let anybody critique us on how we're doing our job. We're supposed to, you know, it, it, the media always talk about how we're serving the people. But yet when the people have thoughts about how you're doing your job, their reaction has been, well, that means you want me dead. What? Wait, what? No. Like, do they do they want the politicians that they cover dead? Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally the same thing. <laughs> and it's it's this angle that they take that the left takes with everything, right? Is when you when you rightly criticize them, it immediately becomes, okay, this is an attack and this is dangerous. Right. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's not even if it's talking about a specific policy, it's seen as personal. And it's yeah, again, even the most mild criticism, saying you're wrong or you're fake, it's dangerous or something like that. I mean, but the, and Claire also did is she kind of baited Stelter into attacking Discovery and Chris Licht, wondering if Discovery was behind his ouster, that they personally may have pulled the plug on Stelter's career. And, you know, it then went on to become a panel discussion about how they CNN better not turn back towards the center just because... John Malone, he must be some like libertarian or something crazy like that. There, that was some of the accusations that they were throwing around. I'm like, uh, maybe they just want to do the news again. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's apparently incredibly dangerous when there's not when every network is not overtly partisan in the same direction. And I mean, we saw this same thing with the January six hearings, the televised right. January six hearings. Um, when Fox News wasn't running them for, I think they ran them for part of it, right? But like Tucker Carlson's show didn't run them. Yeah, the first one and the most recent one were the ones in the evening and they didn't run those. Right, and this this was some threat to democracy that you have like 11 TV networks running them. <laughs> but this 12th one, they are, they're not. And so that's that's a problem. That's why America's in danger. Yeah, and they put it, and they, uh, granted, it's a much smaller, it's a little bit smaller, but they put it on Fox Business and they did like full more like Brett Baer, Martha McCallum and everybody. So it was like there and they frequently reminded people that if you wanted to watch that, nonsense you could just turn on their other channel yeah they're which they, is in millions of homes too they reminded people the entire time it was going on that hey like you can you can just 
switch over. You know, I mean, they they threw them as much of a bone as they possibly could, short of actually running the thing itself, just offering free coverage. But yeah, it's so stupid. I mean, and, then, and speaking of priorities, I think this actually transitions to a really good point. Um, you know, and, and these kind of this ties together the other panelist and then the uh, the last guest on the show. David Zerwick's answer was actually a really good one. Oh my he, God, I forgot he was on. <laughs> yeah, he said the biggest change in the last 30 years was the decline in local journalism. All right, so now, got to be clear here, longtime listeners and readers of Newsbusters uh, and listeners of the podcast will know that, you know, Tim and a lot of us are supporters of a free and impartial press. I mean, we actually believe in wanting the news media to practice the ideals uh, that Stelter and the Zerwicks of the world preach, but they don't actually put into practice. Again, Zerwick's point is fair. When you talk about these hedge funds and conglomerates coming into local TV stations and there's not as many, pe- just not as many people able to cover local news, even just like cover your local high school football game, you know, everybody likes that sort of thing. Um, but you have to wonder, and I think it's fair to say that the national media made it all about them over the last couple decades and you know and their trump obsession over the last six years drew people away from the media and including local reporters who i think by and large people are more likely to still trust because they know that they're certainly i mean they might still be woke you know as all get out but they're not making money they're not making brian stelter's one million dollars a year and you know, and if they get fired, they're not going to be like Stelter, whereas Stelter has, I think, three years left on his deal, and he makes about a million dollars each. And a lot of industry people have said in the last couple of days that they expect Discovery to give Stelter that money. Right. So these local journalists aren't like that. They're not, uh, you know, in that same boat. So I think that's a com- problem. Uh, from the news media at large, that they're they made it all about themselves, and that they've hurt not only their own credibility, that they've they've made issues for local papers as well. They have, and I mean, look, Zerwick's criticism is fair. Uh, where that criticism comes from is is something else entirely, though. Right, right. Exactly. He would he would not be complaining about any of this if it were not achieving an outcome that he disagreed with, right? And that's that's always what the problem is with these people. It's, you know, it's it's about dark money in politics when <laughs> when they're when they're upset about Sheldon Adelson and the Koch brothers. It's not about dark money in politics when somebody's talking about George Soros. In fact, that's a conspiracy theory. Uh, you know, it's 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 never about the practice itself. If they're complaining about the practice itself, then it's because that practice is producing an outcome that they dislike. If they like the outcome, they're not going to talk about it. Right, exactly. And it, and so this actually ties in well to the final guests, uh, the, the following segment. It was Brian Karam. Brian Karam. Beautiful. Beautiful. Just amazing. And believe it or not, he was actually the first guest on the debut episode of Reliable Sources. And I didn't know that. Yeah, his, his offense, the reason he was on, he was fired from a local TV station for, this isn't going to be surprising at all, haranguing President George H.W. Bush. So he got fired from a local TV job for being a prick and being a, a crazy person, uh, just shouting like a lunatic. To the sitting president. To the sitting president. Gee, I mean, and he had a CNN contract for a number of years as a political analyst because he yelled at Sarah Huckabee Sanders one time. 
And, and he yelled at Donald Trump a few times. And he and Sebastian Gorka nearly got beat up or nearly came to blows. I mean, the irony in that is just, I mean, it's just too good. It's just too good. It is. It's perfect. So so then his final commentary, uh, you know, Stelter struck many of the same points uh, about how he views the press and how he'll be watching and cheering on CNN. Because, you know, as I just pointed out earlier, I don't think he would want to do anything, at least publicly. He'll certainly leak like crazy, I'm sure. But he won't do anything publicly to breach whatever uh, buyout he has with CNN. Uh, so instead, he kind of had some veiled like points about the media, something, something authoritarianism, something, something Trump. Here we go. The world needs a reliable source. Mm, yes. I think that was the line. The free world needs a reliable yes. source. Now let's play that. Let's see what that was. And that's the watchword here. Accountability. So this show's going away, but there's going to be so many more. We need to have room for media criticism and debate and discussion, and we will. So much of the media ecosystem in 2022 is garbage, but so much of it is spectacular. The hard part's sorting out the treasure from the trash. These are thorny, complicated things. I know I didn't, never had all the answers. I didn't even always have all the questions. But it was the gift of a lifetime to get to confront these issues on international television with the backing of CNN. Here's what I do know. I know it's not partisan to stand up for decency and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. It's required. It's patriotic. We must make sure we don't give platforms to those who are lying to our faces. But we also must make sure we are representing the full spectrum of debate and representing what's going on in this country and in this world. That's why CNN needs to be strong. That's why I believe CNN will always be strong. You, you viewers at home, it's on you. CNN must remain strong. I know the 4,500 staffers are going to do their part to make it stronger than ever. But it's going to be on you to hold CNN accountable. And not just CNN. You got to hold your local paper accountable. You got to hold your local digital outlet accountable. It's on all of us. We are all members of the media, all helping to make it better. That's what I believe. I can't wait to be watching CNN, seeing what happens in the future. I'm going to be rooting for it. I want CNN to be strong. I believe America needs CNN to be strong. I believe the free world needs CNN to be strong. And it will continue to be. Because all of us are going to help make that happen. The free world needs a reliable source. So, for reliable sources, for the last time, I'm Brian Stelter. Thanks for being with us. Media criticism and debate. Is something that Stelter thinks is needed. Mm. Media criticism. I uh, I thought that was a hate movement. Yeah, I thought that was a hate movement. Oh my gosh! So, look, I I think I'm going to take something that Steve Krakauer and Eric Erickson have said. I don't think Brian Stelter is a horrible guy. He be a little bit. He's a little bit of a snake, uh, to be honest. Um, he seems to be a devoted, loving uh, husband, really good father. Aside from naming his kids. Uh, Sonny was one thing, but his other kid's name is Story Moon. That kid is screwed. Oh my God, I forgot about Story that. Moon. Ryan, come on, dude. You're not Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like Elon Musk or, or just any of these crazy people. You're yeah. not Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, uh. Yeah, what's that kid's Apple? Yeah, Apple. Apple with Gwyneth Paltrow. Dude, yeah. be that's better than Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> Story Moon Stelter. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, uh, Sonny, I mean, that's, for a girl, that's a, that's fine. Um, 
But I think at the end of the day, Seltzer got a, just a whiff of the big show, and he became enamored with it. And I think there's no way going back from that. He's so obsessed with Fox News. Um, you wonder what's going to happen to him, if he's going to end up at a certain acronym organization that will not be named, or Vox, or Huffington Post really isn't a thing. Um, not anymore, no. No, I mean, some people have said he'll try to go to MSNBC or NPR. I highly doubt that. No, um, no, I don't see MSNBC picking him up. No, no he's. I think he's still an ad, was an adjunct at NYU, so I could see him doing something like that with Jay Rosen. Um, you know, because Jay Rosen and Jeff was the other guy that basically told Stelter what to do. Um, he could also just turn into one of those guys who starts writing those, you know, hand wringing, simpering think tank pieces. You know, oh, about gosh. <laughs> he could work for Cat, yeah, Center for American Progress. Yeah, or, he's he's got options. He's he's going to be just fine. Yeah, he's going to be fine. They have like some big farm somewhere in like Jersey or upstate New York. So huh. I mean, he'll be fine. Yeah, plenty of space for him to run around and yeah. yeah. And so I think so. Well, I think yeah. The thing is, Oliver Darcy for now is staying on. And which I think is hilarious. Remarkable. So, remarkable. So we're going to find out how that goes. Um, you know, so. Maybe you, he's maybe he's not a big enough deal that uh, the top brass at Discovery haven't realized like, oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy needs to go too. He's, maybe he's just hiding. So do you, who do you think is going to be next on the chopping block? Um, there's a number of options out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Acosta were the next one to go. I mean, like if you if you say sanctimony and show me a CNN logo, my brain does immediately go to Stelter. But right after that is Acosta. It's um, the guy is the guy is full on advocate. He's so insufferable the way he does it um, that if if they have a problem with that kind of advocacy, um, somebody being that obnoxious and open about it is, you know, he's, he's going to draw a lot of eyes to him from from the higher ups there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's been some reports out there that a lot of people will get fired at once. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think some of these uh, rumors of their demise are exaggerated. I don't think John King is going anywhere. I heard that one floating around. Yeah, John <laughs> Berman. Like, yeah, more, New Day's going to get rebooted. But, uh, I mean, some of these people, like, John King hosts Inside Politics, which... I mean, they recently brought it back probably five or six or seven, eight years ago. But that was one of CNN's original shows as well. Uh, I don't I mean, I don't think the midday show at 12 noon is part of the problem. He's also like there's a reason the guy's never in my compilations, you know, like, okay, a couple of his guests sometimes. Yeah, it's one of the conceits. I mean, that's part of the thing. I mean, yes, we are a small staff, but if you go to someone's Newsbusters tag and they are not like. You know, there's not a blog every like couple days or whatever. I can't remember the last time any of us something. Yeah, wrote something about John King. John King specifically. I mean, he had the weird thing the other day about like anti-Semitism, uh, there being a discourse problem on the left or something like very like understated. That's a soft way to put it. Some way, yeah, he had some underhanded way of just kind of suggesting that there was an anti-Semitism problem on the left as well as the right or whatever. But other than that, you know, really. It's only part of like big panel discussions and really big breaking news where he's one of like eight voices and he's probably his take is probably only like third worst or something. But other than that, you really don't see him much anywhere. Um, I think you're right. I mean, Don Lemon is also someone who's just been tempting fate. He had that take a few weeks ago where he was like, some people around here don't think that Republicans are as dangerous, you know, as some yeah. of us. And you're like, that's exactly what Brian's did too. Brian 
you know, when the news of the merger was announced that he was like, I wonder if John, you know, people like John Malone who say these things about CNN aren't watching CNN. Right. Uh, It's like, oh, dude. No, I mean, we, we're, we're watching. We're watching, Don. But, uh, yeah, that's like, uh, as I said, I said to you before we came on the air and I tweeted this, this was like the scene in Bruce Almighty where, like, Bruce loses his mind and just, like, curses him out and asks on all... live TV, yeah. all, And asks the people next to him, like, why didn't I get the anchor job? Why is Evan better than me? I mean, that's kind of... The, you're just tempt Again, you're tempting fate and asking to get fired by implicitly attacking your bosses. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I... <laughs> The thing about Don, though, is I he does I, this. This might be I might have a bad read on the guy. He doesn't strike me as an overtly political dude. He strikes me as somebody who is kind of unconvincingly, in my opinion, playing a character on TV. Mm. And I think that if if he felt, um, you know, if he if he felt the cane coming for him to yank him off the stage next, that he could he could pretty easily just shift to a much more milk toast boring show. It's already a boring show by the way. We uh yeah. we post a lot of <laughs> we post a lot of ridiculous Don Lemon clips and whatever, but in between all of that is just a bunch of muttering and and utterly stupid takes. Yeah. It's uh, it's it is it is dull. A lot of the blogs from his show are more are more so the guests. He is he is crazy guestless like Max Boot and oh my God. He'll bring on Anna Navarro. He'll bring in the real crazy people on yeah. his show that some of the other hosts like John King wouldn't bring on, but, um, you know, it's really only the, like to be Don's take or whatever, you know, or Don Lemon really became infamous because of the handoff with Chris with Cuomo. Chris, yeah. The bromance, the bromance there. That was really the only way that that actually really launched him into becoming a, not so much a hate object, but as you pointed out, someone who's just easily mocked, I think it, yeah. it was more of his thing. Whereas, um, yeah, Brian Stelter, I think, was a legitimate like hate object for a lot of people. So we'll see who the next hate object is. I mean, uh, so one other thing I do want to touch on. Uh, this is just amazing. Um, Mark Finkelstein has a piece over at Newsbusters that leads uh, the website uh, as we're taping this. Wild MSNBC conspiracy. Donald Trump will threaten to give top secret documents to U.S. enemies. Yes, Michael Cohen was filling in for... Or uh, Michael Steele was filling in for Jonathan Capehart yesterday on MSNBC. Former RNC head Michael Steele. Yes, who the other day was going after, was like defending the IRS when like, dude, you were the guy, I think, at the RNC when the Tea Party was targeted by the IRS. And now you're like, IRS is great. What are Republicans doing? This is conspiracy theory. Dude has completely sold out his credentials. He is, I mean, <laughs> I, I, think of, I think of him first as a Morning Joe guest and second as, oh, right, that... That guy was a Republican once. Yeah, I was going to say, it is a lot of people have said that he drove the RNC into debt. Like, that is an objective fact that, like, Reince came in and Reince wasn't able to do a whole lot at first. He mm-hmm. just had to pay off debts and actually restructure the organization so it actually, like, did its job to, like, hire people and function as a political function. organization. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. As so, opposed to something just trying to slowly choke itself out. Yeah, exactly. So he had Michael Cohen on. And Michael Cohen said this about Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not going to play a clip. Uh, I'll just read it here. He's going to use it as a uh, talk about the documents that he's allegedly kept at Mar-a-Lago that he shouldn't have taken with him. He's going to use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a way to extort America. 
to turn around to say, if you put me in jail, if you go after, and then, I mean, he'll even say to his children simply after him, I will have my loyal supporters who do not know who has copies of information that may have been, and again, this is my conjecture, that I would take those documents and release them to Iran, to China, to North Korea, to Russia. And you know what? You want to take me down? I'll take the whole country down. So he thinks this is what Trump is doing right now to avoid jail time for, like, breaking the Presidential Records Act and the Espionage Act. I mean, criminal Trump hot take scoop number, like, 3,457, right? Right. Like, right. sure, sure, dude, whatever. Trump would <laughs> risk committing, like, being caught committing treason. Um, you know, and as Mark pointed out, this was such a wild conspiracy theory. It's probably the kind of thing that the people who believe the moon landing was staged would peddle. So you have to wonder what else Michael Cohen believes. Um, maybe he had some time to think in prison. So yeah. right, I mean, um, when Trump's when Trump's former wife passed away too, a bunch of people were saying, "Wow, you know that 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 whole thing ended really quickly. They had a funeral right away. Maybe maybe they buried the documents with her." You know, <laughs> did you see that? That was like a thing. On no, Twitter. yeah, it was a thing on Twitter. There were some like idiot celebrity blue checks, but yeah, like that that whole crowd was saying like, wow, they should, they should dig, they should dig up the, uh, dig up the casket and see what happened. You know, it's, that's, that is who this segment was for. You know, it's, it's for them. They just, they needed another, this is how they will finally get Trump. You know, they, they were, they were kind of petering out on the whole Mar-a-Lago raid. So they needed something extra to kind of bump, bump up the hope again. (laughs) Oh man. Oh, that is just too good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've had a lot to talk about here this coming week. Uh, so at Newsbusters, we're going to have some stories about immigration. We might have some things about Afghanistan. Right now, we also have a hilarious story uh, about the New York Times actually trying to convince people that Beto O'Rourke is still a legitimate candidate. Um, I don't know how many. It's one of those, how many times do we have to teach you this old lesson man gift? Yeah, yeah, like, no, it is. It is just... Permanent failed candidate, Beto O'Rourke. Like, yeah, I mean, this is a reminder of how, like, Beto is the candidate for people who live here in Northern Virginia. Like, yeah, I saw a BMW a few months ago, like, driving in Falls Church with a Beto sticker on it. And I was like, that's who Beto is running for. Or I saw on Twitter, I think, during the presidential campaign, he saw somebody running in Ams Morgan wearing a Beto t-shirt. Beto's, his target audience is Beltway liberals in D.C., (laughs) <laughs> which uh, don't get to vote in Texas elections. So they're not Midland or Odessa or, no. y- you know, no. the Woodlands or, uh, yeah, Corpus Christi at all. He should just skateboard full time, man. <laughs> that is, I think, the underrated thing. Everybody like talks about him being a furry, but like. He's you- a, wait, he's a furry? <laughs> yeah. Well, that furry thing too. Dude, what? Like the furry and the skateboarder. Uh, hopefully his dog has found a better home. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I w- you wonder what happened to the dog. You're uh, killing me, dude. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. We're just telling things we didn't actually know. And we didn't actually plan that. We didn't, we didn't, I did not know that he didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's dark, dude. Yeah, that's fun. Um, so yeah, we have some other fun stuff. Uh, the IRS we talked about, uh, briefly mentioned, uh, Chuck Todd says if, you know, you really should have nothing to hide argument that like. Oh, you have a problem with eighty-seven thousand IRS agents? Probably means you did cheated on your taxes. Yeah, no, there's there's no such thing as government malfeasance. Just ask Chuck Todd. That's R- right. Perfect. It's like the uh, 
Well, it's like airport security or some of this other stuff, you know, as we've learned later years about the Patriot Act, it was like, oh, if you've got nothing to hide, then it's fine. Right. I mean, that argument can be used to allow pretty much any level of draconian surveillance, period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's maybe maybe just stop arming IRS agents and sending them to go harass people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. So uh, stay tuned for Newsbusters uh, throughout the week. Uh, Nick will hopefully be back on Wednesday uh, and on Friday. So, Bill, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a good time. Yeah. So uh, as Tim always likes to say, listen to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>